0: Labyrinths is brought to you by Knox Robinson Productions. Please consider becoming a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you can listen to Labyrinths ad-free.
1: Visit patreon.com slash Robinson to learn more.
2: As much as my ego wants to bury this and pretend that it doesn't exist, I was like, I'm going to talk about this and then everybody's going to go have to look up these horrible photos of myself and I have to relive it and, you know, your mind spirals. But that's just fear. And when it internalizes, that fear turns into meanness and snarkiness. And at the bottom of the barrel, it turns into, I have no self-worth. I know that if I had said no that day, that they would have gotten someone else. But they didn't. I did it. And so that's why I'm taking ownership. I knew that I was participating in a system that is intentionally hurting women. And intentionally using us against each other and as a joke. And our lives and our experiences are not a joke.
0: Feeling lost?
1: Then you're in the right place.
0: I'm Amanda Knox.
1: And I'm Christopher Robinson.
0: And this is is Labyrinths. Labyrinths. A few months ago, I received a curious message on Instagram. It was from a model named Emily. She was gorgeous, about my age, dark brown hair, bold eyebrows reminiscent of my own. Coincidentally, my mom had almost named me Emily before settling on Amanda. Like you, Emily wrote, I was a young American who lived in Italy from 2005 to 2008. I was modeling and vividly remember hearing what happened and immediately saw the cascade of horror that followed— I can't imagine your experience, but I understand Italian culture, so I can see how things spiraled.
1: Emily went on to describe a photo shoot that had haunted her for years. A moment of deep exploitation, a moment of betrayal, and one that she felt compelled to share with Amanda.
0: So I think maybe just for the fun of it, mm-hmm. I'm going to delay why we're talking to each other, and instead, ask you about yourself and about your career. Okay. Tell me about yourself. Who are you? What's your career? (laughs) So my name is Emily. I am a model.
2: I have been modeling for over 15 years, I guess. So I left home at 18 years old, and I moved to Italy, and I started doing the model circuit. So I'd go Milan, Spain, like Barcelona, Paris, Singapore, Bangkok, Tokyo, and I would just do that month after month. Wow. Yeah. So as you get older, you
0: sort of lose your worth as a model. Some people don't, <sighs> but you know, that's just... For the record, for everyone who's listening, mm-hmm. you're a very, very beautiful person. <laughs> that's you. obscene to me, <laughs> Thank but <you>. okay. <laughs> yeah. So I eventually
2: moved from Singapore to New York, and that's where I've stayed for the past 10 years that I've been here.
0: What made you decide to leave home at 18 and travel the world modeling? Like, I I don't know. I never thought of doing that. Right. So I
2: think most women can sort of understand, particularly being in a Western culture, we are valued through our beauty, which I also have to say is that's given to you by men. And so I can remember being the age of 12 and 13 and seeing commercials on TV for... Calvin Klein's eternity with Christy Turlington and all those very beautiful women and thinking, oh, what a life. They're so beautiful. I want to be just like that. Hmm. So at some point I saw a commercial on TV. I was 13 and it said it was Model Search America. And I said, mom, can I go and see if I can be a model? And my mom's like in her very mother mind, I don't want to be the one to crush this child's dreams. I'll take her and I'll let them tell her no. (laughs) But we went and they didn't say no. They said, she's a little young, but we'll follow her until she's 18, at which point we'll discuss again. I had sort of forgotten about it. And then probably the month I turned 18, I got a phone call from Model Search America. And so I went back and this time at 18, I had agencies from all over the world asking me to come And model for them. So I was actually ready to go to college and I thought I had to make the responsible decision and say, no, I'm going to go to college. And my mom said, are you crazy? (laughs) Go to Italy. Like You (laughs) can go to college later. Go to Italy. Follow this weird dream. Go, girl, go. So I did. And I packed up at
0: 18 years old.
2: That's how it all began.
0: It sounds like you had no experience going into suddenly having a legit career. What was that like? To be
2: honest, I had some pretty rough experiences and just coming up against other models that were so beautiful and amazing and I just had imposter syndrome and you just fake it till you make it. That's when I sort of begun to realize that people don't have your best interest at heart and unfortunately, I had to learn that the hard way several times. There's something called stock photo shoots that a company can go on a... Website and just buy stock photographs of of women and use them for their products without the woman knowing what the product is for. And Hmm. so being so young, I just went to a photo shoot one day. It was like my first big photo shoot and hair and makeup and I was feeling so great. And my agency, unbeknownst to me, had signed away the rights to the photos to use for whatever they wanted And so that really came back later to haunt me because anytime I would do a campaign, they would check to see what other things I had done. And these photographs from when I was 18 years old would keep popping back up. And it's like, I can't believe that my agent would sign away the rights to my face without me knowing it for 800 euros. Mm -hmm. And now they can use these photos in perpetuity. So it's things like that. Mm -hmm. Another instance is I was in Italy. I was a little bit older, maybe 21. And I booked a Schwachkoff's hair box and they told me that I would get say 2,000 euros for the day and then if they decided to buy the pictures that I would get more later. And I did the photo shoot, the photos turned out amazing, but they said, we're so sorry, we're not going to use those photos. I'm like, okay, well at least I got the day right, that's fine. About a year later I was in Germany and it turns out they had bought the photo and it was everywhere. So. My agency just took the money from me. And so they probably made at least 50,000 euros off of me and there was nothing I could do. And you can't sue them. It's just ridiculous.
0: Why can't you sue them? Well,
2: I guess you technically could have, but I think it's very tough for a 20-year-old American girl to try to come up against the legal system in Italy. Preach. I think that's the hardest lesson is that people are not looking out for your best interest, even if they're your agent and they represent you. It doesn't matter. That sounds like a very lonely experience. Oh, absolutely. You're always alone. I don't speak the language. I'm traveling by myself. I'm so young. My friends are back at school, in college, having these beautiful experiences, and I'm just alone being judged on how I look and comparing myself. But then you see yourself on the cover of Elle magazine, you see yourself in these beautiful campaigns and you're like, I'm I'm worth it, I'm beautiful, and you're getting validation and it's negative feedback loop that's happening. And that's really tough when you're 18, 19, 20, and you're really developing a sense of worth. How do you grapple with
0: that psychologically? I
2: think particularly for a model, you want to be famous and you're telling yourself, if I could just get the next thing, if I could book Victoria's Secret, if I could book this hair job or this skincare job. So that's what you're telling yourself over and over. So when you see yourself everywhere, it just feels like, look how great this is. And so it it ends up being this like hunger that you need to feed. I always tell people that models are some of the most cocky, but also some of the most insecure people on the planet. It's this weird world you live in.
0: Hmm. Well, clearly it was worthwhile enough to stick it through for 15 years already. What were some of the highs in your experience of being a model?
2: The cover of Elle magazine, that sticks out in my mind. I worked in Southeast Asia a lot and So I would do like a worldwide campaign for Lux skincare or Pond skincare. And so the productions get so big and you really feel like you're a part of the team. And just from the hair and the makeup and everything is so precise and you're really acting and taking on these personas. And it takes days to, to do these shoots sometimes. I did one Pond's photo shoot where it was shot in Bangkok, but they wanted to make it look like New York. So they took a whole city block, like they built New York City And it's just incredible to watch all this and to be a part of it because you feel like you're the center of it. And it's that taste Mm. again of like, ooh, is this fame? This feels great. All this energy is being put onto me. Yeah, it's, it can be really addicting.
0: Sure, sure. I'm curious about a lot of that because a really, really good, beautiful photo shoot, the clothes don't just hang on you. You are putting on a persona. You are a character. Yeah. What were some of those characters that you portrayed that you really liked? And how was that even communicated to you? It
2: really depends. Sometimes you'll go to a casting and they'll say, can you sing something for us? They want to see your personality. They want to see how you move. They want to see how crazy you can be. You're really just trying to get people to like you. And this is where it can be a little bit toxic because you just Hmm. want people to like you so bad because that translates into bookings, which translates into money. And this cycle goes, I would say for the L photo shoot, for example, it's all about the creativity and it's high fashion. And so from the way they do your hair, they pull it up really tight and you're in this big dress and the drama. And so you take on this persona of, power. And then you start giving these like really powerful stances. You start to just embody the persona of
0: power and beauty. Well, that's a good note for me because I've been photographed a few times and I've always felt very awkward. And I feel like I end up looking awkward because I feel awkward. So how do you like convince yourself out of that? Are you no longer yourself when you're on camera?
2: So it's interesting that you brought that up because I think disassociation is key to Not just modeling, but to a lot of things that we do, particularly as women, but to modeling specifically, the disassociation for me is really just stuffing down that piece of you that's insecure. Sometimes you got to practice the looks in the mirror. And yeah, you feel stupid, but now you know if the photographer is standing here and you can just hit him with a look, that's how you know you look good. Your eyebrows are going to go a certain way and you just practice it. But I do a lot of lingerie. I did a lot of topless things and disassociating with my body was absolutely key. You're naked, but it's almost taking, I don't want to say taking your power back because in some respects you're giving it over, but yeah, (laughs) disassociating.
0: Yeah. Can you talk maybe about the relationship between the photographer and the model?
2: It's important to have as a model a reputation of being easygoing and likable and you never know what this next photo shoot is going to bring you. So you're always looking out for the next bigger thing. So the photographer knows this. And so I think they play it to their advantage. They'll tell you what thing they're going to work on next. And they'll say, oh my gosh, you you could be great for this job or whatever. And it kind of it warms you up a little bit. I don't want to say that they try to intimidate you. But there is an intimidation that I think starts to happen between a model mm-hmm. and a photographer unless they're really good and make you feel really comfortable. And then you're gonna be able Mm. to open up more and that's when the shots get even better. And obviously it depends on which photographer you're working with, but I think generally, and particularly the photo shoots where I've done things that are nude or
0: topless or lingerie, there is sort of a power dynamic that happens. When you're going into a job, how much are you aware of what you're getting into ahead of time? Do you have a week ahead of time when you're talking to the photographer about what the ultimate vibe of the thing is going to be? Or do you just show up and they're like, all right, get into character?
2: If you're working with a great team, they might send you a mood board, images. This is what we're looking for. Get into character. You might talk to the photographer in the beginning of the photo shoot, and he's like, This is what we want you to cultivate. Be this fierce, powerful, but you know, whatever. But other times you show up and you don't know what they're looking for and you're just sort of out there untethered, doing the best you can. There's a couple photo shoots that have happened to me that way that have turned out amazing and a couple that have nearly killed me. So you honestly never know. Hmm. And that's what makes this job beautiful is the unknowing and the excitement, but it's also what makes it so terrifying because you also have no control over what happens in the photo shoot itself. What happens to the images, you don't know. So if you take a shot that you don't like, you don't get to say delete it. There's no take backs. So you have to be very careful about what you're putting out there.
0: Wow, that is a lot of pressure.
2: Yeah, and I would say if you talk to any model, the shot they use is the shot that they didn't want out there. It's always the one where you're like, I know that there was a better one and they didn't use it. Why? It's just the way it is.
0: Huh, that's really interesting. I wonder what the psychology is behind that. Who knows? But it was
2: funny when I was telling my husband that we were going to do this. His first reaction was, you should have listened to it before it goes out because you don't want her to make you sound a certain way. And I said, I don't think it's like that. I don't think she would do that. (laughs) He was a model too. And he knows that people are not looking out for you. And so you always are so guarded and Mm. afraid of what's going to happen and what they're going to put out there.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, do you feel like you've been misrepresented before? Because that just sounds like you have PTSD in a certain way. I don't think at this point in my
2: life I have PTSD. I'm able to look back and just say, whew, that was a lot. A lot of things happened to me, a lot of good things, a lot of bad things. I've definitely had photos taken of me that I absolutely hated. Things that were embarrassing caused me a lot of shame. But I think that's just par for the course. This is what happens when you put yourself out there. The whole thing for me is just about being courageous and showing up and owning those mistakes and being vulnerable and being honest. I was 20 years old. That's okay, you make mistakes when you're 20. It's just about making peace with myself and being able to appreciate the life that I've lived.
0: Well, that seems like a really good introduction to what brings us here today. Yeah, this is so crazy. (laughs) So we'll just do some dramatic pause. Dun, 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 dun.
1: (laughs) We could tell you all the great reasons you should support Labyrinths on Patreon including ad-free episodes and exclusive patron-only content. But why not hear it direct from a listener?
0: Hi, my name is Allie, and I joined Labyrinth's Patreon because there's nowhere else that you can explore the ebbs and the flows of humanity with the kind of truth and grace that you can get with Labyrinth. There really isn't anywhere else you can get that. Visit patreon.com slash Knox Robinson. So you reached out to me because you said that there was a photo shoot that Mm -hmm. haunted you. Yes. And you wanted to tell me about it. Yes. Talk to me about that photo shoot. So
2: I had just moved back to the United States from Singapore 11 years ago. And in Singapore, I had quite a bit of success with my modeling career, moving back to the United States into New York was like a much bigger market for me. I had a lot of trouble getting an agency to represent me because I was short and people just didn't take me as seriously. So I did get with an agency and they would send me out on jobs and it was okay. Nothing was amazing, but my agency at the time was just trying to promote me the best they could.
0: And did that just mean just like, going to whatever, like as many photo shoots as possible. It's mostly
2: going to as many castings as you can and getting your face in front of as many people as you can and trying to create some buzz about yourself. So when I get a phone call that says Vice Magazine wants to shoot you for an editorial, I was like, oh my gosh, they're so cool. They're so edgy. Like this is going to be so great for my career. You never know what this is going to lead to. and so. They didn't tell me what it was for. I just jumped at the chance. They just called me and said, help ask, can you get over to these Brooklyn studios for Vice Magazine? And I was like, give me 15 minutes.
0: Interesting. And why was it that it happened that quickly? Like, So I didn't know this until I got there. But while
2: they were doing my makeup, the makeup artist had told me that the girl that they had originally hired for the job walked off the photo shoot. She would not be shot in this way. And she said, no. And so they hired me as a backup. And so immediately they started buttering me up, like, thank goodness you got here. This is so great. You need to be like an actress on set today. Basically putting the other girl down and saying she was less than because she advocated for herself. Basically, is mm-hmm.
0: how how it went. Like saying she was unprofessional because she was like, "No, no, I won't do that."
2: Exactly. Yeah, she's unprofessional and she's rude and all the things. So then I felt like I had to really step up to the plate and deliver for them. Like, well, I'm not like that. I can rise to the challenge. I'll be everything that she couldn't have been. Mm. Which is, <laughs> which in there lies the downfall.
0: <laughs> yeah, what a situation to put you in. Because again, they're like setting you up to understand that if you walk away or if you object, like they look at you like a failure. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, it's
2: this mindset of you want people to like you. You want to book the next big thing. So you a lot of times end up compromising your values and your principles because you let other people dictate how the day is going to go.
0: Yeah. So you're getting hair, you're getting makeup done. When do you find out the character that you are going to portray? So I think they told me while I was getting my makeup done, they said, you're going to be
2: Amanda Knox. And I remember me and the makeup artist having a laugh, like, we don't look alike. How is this going to work? I assume that the other girl that they booked probably looked more like you. I knew who you were, as I think the whole world did at that point. I don't think I had passed judgment on one thing or the other. It just sounded like a horrible thing that had happened. And... I never put myself in your shoes. I never thought, what if she sees this? You seemed too far removed for me. And I was only concerned with myself in the day and making these people happy.
0: So when they told you that you were going to be Amanda Knox, were they giving you any guidance on like what that meant? Because like at least my experience of this is like there's an idea of me that exists out there. And Mm -hmm. whenever I sort of interact with people, I don't know what version of me they have in their heads. They
2: had an editorial list of things that they wanted to shoot, like snippets from your life. So it was like you in a jail cell, me doing yoga, you at at lunch, eating, things like that. Like one, you're going to look crazy. Nobody was talking about you as a human being as a person, as a woman. It was me portraying you in probably the worst moments of your life while you were in an Italian jail, and the photos were horrible. They're mean-spirited and ugly, and it was meant to make fun of you.
1: The images are horrible, not for being acts of malice, but for how casually and artlessly they dehumanize Amanda. A sad faced Foxy Noxy in handcuffs, slurping spaghetti. An inverted Foxy Noxy doing a yoga headstand in her underwear. Foxy Noxy hitting a bong and laughing in front of a pentagram poster. A psychotically gleeful Foxy Noxy chopping a sausage with a meat cleaver, blood smearing her face with bloody handprints on the walls behind her. Looking at these photos, I get the sense that no one involved was trying to hurt Amanda directly, but rather that they wanted to have fun in an off-color, edgy way. And the thought never crossed their minds that a real human being would be affected by those photos.
2: The one in particular that jumps out to me the most is the one where they put me in a bikini and they put a sash across my chest that says police in Italian. And I remember thinking, I have no idea what this has to do with anything, but I think I'm only in this position because I appeal to men. And unfortunately, I think the same thing is true for you. And so when they do that, when they make me naked, they are letting me know what they value about me. Mm. And I know that, and it's a little bit humiliating. And so the photographer starts making comments and starts, making fun of me a little bit. And to be fair, I don't think he did anything outside of the realm of what would be considered normal. I think it's just our cultures like that. Mm -hmm. But at one point he did say something to me that upset me enough. And I was trying to hide my shame and my guilt and wanting to fight back. I gave him the middle finger. But when they did that, they took a picture of it. And so now the cover shot is me standing there in a bikini, giving the middle finger. And that to me was just the most haunting thing. That's the particular image that haunted me and my career.
0: Why has it haunted you? I think for several reasons,
2: mostly because it's just, it's not who I am as a person. It looks like me, but it's me in this moment of humiliation. And so it's embarrassing. It's also and I'm not going to lie and say that it's only because I'm better than the photos that were taken, but it's also because they're not good. I don't look nice. So it's also a little bit of a vanity, I think. Mm. So it's all just rolled into one. It's what the photo is saying. It's how I look in it. It's what I'm doing to you. I just think the whole thing is um, it's just really horrible.
0: Yeah, no, I can relate to that. I don't think I've ever talked to someone before who I think can resonate so much with the fact that an image can be used to define you and you don't have control over that image and how a single moment can be taken completely out of context and be used to define you in a way that you don't think is actually representative of yourself. Yeah,
2: and it's this loss of control that is debilitating, Because at least you feel like in your normal life, you can control the way you look and the way you act. But once a photo is taken, people will just project whatever they want onto it and you have no control. And it's terrifying.
0: What did you think that those photos said about you that was just like so painful? Like for me, looking at those and seeing those for the first time. I don't know what the circumstances of that photo shoot were. I didn't know that you were sitting there the whole time going, this is really icky. I just knew that it was making fun of me and it made me feel bad, you know? And, like, it makes me feel bad to also know that you were feeling bad in that moment. And it's like, how is it that we both were feeling so bad? How did, like, who made this happen? (laughs) it's funny I have a lot of feelings about this I don't
2: think that the pain of my bad photo shoot can compare to the things that you've been through and it's certainly not a comparison but it just felt important to me to reach out to say something and to try to meet you even if you never responded to just say I see you in that moment 10 11 years ago that I did that photo shoot and I apologize for that
0: can I just say that like that means the world to me. Like it really does. It really does. I'm so happy that
2: you were so generous in your response to me because you didn't have to be. I didn't reach out to you because I wanted anything from you other than to just say that I'm sorry. And the fact that you were generous to me, I think for the both of us, in some small way, it lets us take our power back. I think this is the other reason that. I needed to apologize is because I knew that I was participating in a system that is intentionally hurting women and intentionally using us against each other and as a joke. And our lives and our experiences are not a joke. I know that if I had said no that day that they would have gotten someone else, but they didn't. I did it. And so that's why I'm taking ownership. But it says to me that We don't matter. And we are only existing for other people's pleasure or entertainment in your case.
0: Well, and in your case, too, right? Like somebody thought the most entertaining thing for me is getting this girl in a bikini and getting her to act crazy. Yeah. I've never been in front of the camera like you have and had someone say, "Okay, now you're going to be this character. I've definitely been in in a place where like someone put me on the spot and I want to please them, but I feel uncomfortable. And so now what do I do? I 100 percent have been in that place. And so I 100 percent empathize with you and sympathize and feel so bad that you have been haunted by that for so long, because I feel like I don't want you to not think that you're a good person, or something, because something like that happened to you. And I feel like you were very much more taken advantage of than anything else. So, again, like I greatly appreciate you reaching out and, and saying that you were sorry. I also totally don't really hold it against you. <laughs> That's big of you. You didn't have to be that way, you know? But,
2: <laughs> I, th- and also at the same time, I can laugh at myself too and say, She was 23 years old. Like, give her a break. It's okay. We can live these lives and be vulnerable and own our mistakes. And at least we're out here fighting the good fight. At least I'm trying to be honest and contact the people that I've possibly have hurted and apologize, which I feel like is so wonderful because you've been so generous. And now that we're speaking, it's like, We could totally be friends. You seem so lovely. Your family seems lovely. (laughs) Isn't that the way? Like once you get everything else out of the way, we're all just out here trying to survive and do our best.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, you are an immensely lovely person, too. And like how brave, right? Like I can't tell you. It's so interesting to me, like who ends up acknowledging Reality, Like, it takes a lot of courage to acknowledge that you might have hurt somebody. And you didn't have to reach out to me at all. It's interesting to me that of all the people who are, you know, quote, responsible for this photo shoot, you who had the least agency in it, you just showed up and did it. They told you what to do. You're the one who's taking responsibility and you're the one who's reaching out to acknowledge my feelings, not the people who came up with the idea, not the people who financed it, not the people who made money off of it, not the people who shot it. You are.
2: Because it's my face. I was the face of that. And that is really powerful. So when you look at those photos, you had someone to direct your hurt and pain at And so I knew that somewhere out there, there was a girl named Amanda who was hurt by Emily and you could see my face. And so that's why it was important to me to say something. I can't take responsibility for everything and I don't think that I need to take responsibility for Vice Magazine, but I can do my part. And I think that Mm. that's what we all should be doing is just our little part and being honest about who we've hurt, what we've done, And you never know, you might become Mm -hmm. friends with the girl that you
0: apologize to. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Is there any way that the industry could change in order to prevent these kinds of things from happening? What sort of lessons can not just models learn, but also other people who work in this industry?
2: You know, I'm not sure because I also really believe in art and artistic freedom and freedom of speech and being able to say what you want to say. And I I can take a joke and I can laugh at myself and I can laugh at things that are probably a little crass, But I think the takeaway is be careful what you yourself is putting out there. Be careful for what Mm -hmm. your role is in perpetuating these things that you don't like. Try to stick to your value system because they will come back and they will haunt you if you don't. So I don't think that we should limit Art, I don't think that we should say, oh, that person might be hurt. Don't do that. I don't want to go down that road. Mm-hmm. But just for the individual, just make sure that that's what you want to put out there into the world. Mm-hmm. Because I know that day, if I had said that to myself and questioned that, I I wouldn't have been in that position.
0: Sure. But it's also because at that moment, you sort of knew that there was a real person on the other side of that photo shoot, right? Like, that's why it felt icky. Like, if it was an imaginary character, then, you know, who cares? No one's hurt. Um, Like, you intuitively knew or were conscious that someone could get hurt. And I think that's an interesting way to think about it. Did you read my Atlantic essay about Stillwater?
1: If you missed Amanda's Atlantic essay about the 2021 film Stillwater, you can find a link at knoxrobinson.com. The gist? Director Tom McCarthy made a movie starring Matt Damon that was directly inspired by the quote-unquote Amanda Knox saga. They used her name to promote the film in interviews, and they did all this without Amanda's knowledge or consent. But the most egregious element, in fictionalizing their story, they lazily perpetuated the very same damaging fictions crafted by her prosecutor and furthered by the tabloid media making their Amanda-esque character involved in a sexual relationship with her roommate and indirectly guilty of murder. They did all this without a thought to how perpetuating that false narrative would affect Amanda's ongoing battle to reclaim her identity. And to top it all off, when Amanda made a peace offering to McCarthy and Damon, neither had the guts to even respond.
0: I kind of take the same, like, position as you, right? Like, I don't think that anyone owns my story or or the truth or anything like that. I don't think that freedom of expression should be limited. What I was hoping for was to start a conversation about the way that we tell stories. And the, sure, you are free 100 percent to make choices and to tell stories. But just be mindful that there might be consequences that you're not taking into consideration and allow that to be a part of your decision-making process and the development of your story or the development of your photo shoot. And if you hadn't been thinking about those before, I invite you to think about them because I am now telling you something that you didn't think about. That's the sort of thing that I was hoping people would take away. It's not about, like, not being allowed to do something or being allowed to do something. It's about knowing what you're doing when you're doing it. Yeah. Absolutely. And owning it.
2: Absolutely. I just don't know how someone could continually, knowingly perpetuate a lie. And it's not like it's not hurting anybody because you're sitting in front of me and they couldn't give you a heads up. They couldn't maybe let you know that this was going to happen. That's just, that's pretty shocking. You think they'd at least say, well, no, you don't think. No. Of course, no, you don't think that. Because no one, no one thinks. A, <laughs> no, yeah, I, as it was coming out of my mouth, I was like, nobody's thought about this at all. No, No. I guess you think about it, like the worst has already happened to you. So you're like, sure, of course they did. Of
1: course,
0: of course. Yeah.
1: It may just be an uncomfortable truth that the world is filled with thoughtlessly predatory people in many industries. Given that, what can a young model do to avoid being taken advantage of the way Emily was? What advice would she give to the next generation?
2: You just have to live this big, messy life because the lessons won't be learned until you live it. Hmm. I could say to them a million times, don't do that, don't take your clothes off, and they will just get wrapped up in the same thing. My stepdad used to write me emails while I was traveling and he'd sign off every email, keep your clothes on, love dad. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, I do all the things that people don't tell me to do. I feel like girls are so young when they start modeling that they don't want to talk to me they're like this old lady she doesn't know how old are you 36
0: okay so like you're just two years older than me that's not old
2: (laughs) thank you but when you start modeling at 17 someone who's 36 is like she doesn't understand I'm different I'm gonna take the world by storm that's what makes these women great behind the camera is because they have this like fierce presence and they're so confident they don't want to listen to me god bless them
1: For better or worse, that same brash confidence got Emily through 10 years of modeling across the globe without too much trauma. She shifted gears at the age of 28.
2: I wasn't really working in New York that much anymore. And I went back to school. I went to college and I was going to be an occupational therapist. And I was about to start grad school when somebody said to me, you should fit model. And I was like, what? I don't even know what that is. But it's production fitting. So I work with brands and I help them develop their patterns to make the clothes fit better. So I am a standard size small, which means not just like my bust waist hips, but the circumference of my arm, the length of my leg, you know, my cape measurement, everything happens to be a certain size. And so I go around all day putting clothes on and telling them, like, take a quarter inch here, bring this in. Or they have a new design and I'm like, nobody's wearing this. This outfit's so stupid. Yeah, I can't walk. I can't go upstairs. And so I just work with designers all day helping them develop their clothes and make their patterns better.
0: Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Well, that tells that me <laughs> That's amazing. That tells me that I have the same upper body as you but not the same lower body. <laughs>
2: which is normal. That's normal. So I don't do photographs anymore, but I still work in fashion. So I'm one of the lucky ones. I was able to transition out gracefully and do something else, and I can do this till I decide to quit. So I somehow made it out unscathed. (laughs) Maybe not unscathed, but it's been a good ride.
0: Do you have some friends who have been more scathed than you? Oh, yeah. I mean...
2: There's every horror story that you can possibly imagine from sexual assault to being drugged to, I mean, anything that can happen to a young girl while she's alone has happened to friends Mm. of mine. And I think that's just women in the world. That's not necessarily Mm. modeling. Anytime I think you're alone with men, it can be scary for a young girl.
1: But that kind of fear and those kind of external threats are only one side of the coin. There's also the gradual and internal damage you can do to yourself when moving through that kind of world for so long.
2: When you start this intense level of people-pleasing and taking on personas at such a young age, you lose sight of who you are. Mm. And you do it so often, and you try to read the energy of the other person, and you try to read the energy of the room and change your energy to match theirs, You start doing that so often that you no longer know who you are. Hmm. And the problem is that when you do it for so long, you just become completely untethered to your own sense of self. And you find yourself so lost. And finding yourself is really, really difficult.
0: Can you talk about that? When did you feel the most lost? Getting
2: older has been the thing And probably the thing that most women can relate to, it's just an extreme sense for models or myself anyway. I so identified with being beautiful. I identified with being a sexual object that when that starts to change and I know that men are no longer valuing me for my youth or my sexuality. What am I then? Who am I? what do I do with myself? Because that's not only my identity, but it was my job. It's how I made money. Lost isn't even the word. You just are severely depressed. Hmm. And again, I think so many women can really relate to this. Big changes, getting married, getting divorced, having a baby, just these big changes that make you feel it just questions your reality. So I think aging for me has been the biggest thing. And and being able to age gracefully and not pump my face full of of fillers. And I definitely do Botox, full disclosure. (laughs) Highly recommend it. Just being able to navigate through the changes of life gracefully. Hmm. Don't go kicking and screaming. Go gracefully because it's going to happen anyway.
0: When you think of who you are today, what do you think?
2: I think at this point, I have absolutely no idea who I am. And I think there's comfort in saying that, Mm. but I try to be really vulnerable and honest with my feelings and just try to be truthful about how I move through the world. Mm. And then whoever that person is just comes through. I don't think today I'm going to be like this. I just try to exist peacefully and be kind and help other people. Mm. And hopefully that translates into a good person that maybe people want to be around. Cause that's the other thing I, when, when I stopped trying to be what everybody else wanted to be, uh, then you realize you have more friends and you make more connections because you're just being honest. And that's a person mm. that attracts more positive friendships and energies into
0: their life. That's lovely. Well, I really, really greatly appreciate you reaching out. I can't tell you again how much it means to me. It just makes me feel a little bit more like I'm a human being.
2: The whole goal of me reaching out was I didn't want you to feel as alone as I'm sure you have been.
0: Well, I feel way less alone, so thank
1: you. If you were going to reduce all of human expression and art down to one thing, maybe that would be it, the desire to feel less alone. Isn't that why you're here, listener? Or why we're talking into the podcast void, hoping someone will hear us?
0: I leave this guy alone for two minutes, and he gets all abstract and existential. Me? I'm thinking about how concrete that feeling can be when you're surrounded by concrete. Next time on Labyrinths, we'll be talking to Jens Zuring, a man who spent 34 years wrongfully imprisoned.
1: In season three of our prior podcast, The Truth About True Crime, we covered Jens' case in detail. You can find links at knoxrobinson.com.
0: Jens was locked up at the time, and we got to know him through the prison phone system. But now he's out. He's back in his native Germany, and he's adjusting to a new life in freedom.
1: And we flew all the way to Hamburg to meet him in person. Stay tuned.
0: In the meantime, get lost with us. Find us on Twitter, at Amanda Knox.
1: At Man Under Bridge.
0: And please, if you're enjoying labyrinths and want to support the kind of empathy and courage that Emily displayed in reaching out to me, let us know with a five-star review.
1: This episode was written, edited, and sound designed by us, with additional editing by Josh Thane and theme music by Josh Budo Carp.
0: These aren't the ads you're looking for.
1: These aren't the ads we're looking for.
0: This podcast is listener supported.
1: This podcast is listener supported.
0: Visit patreon.com/slash Knox Robinson.
1: Come on, boys. Let's visit patreon.com/slash Knox Robinson. <laughs>